Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The Bizarre, The Unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So Kat, Kat does the TikTok, um, and she's got uh, she's got one of them TikToks out right now, and it's blowing up. <laughs> You're like one of them TikTok stars. Uh, I don't think that I quite count <laughs> as a TikTok star. It's just, uh, yeah, it seems that... I mentioned that we, I was at Bangor Maine Target, and right. so Maine people kind of picked up on that. And Maine people latch on to Maine stuff because, you know, well, we don't have a lot going we, on. We don't have a lot of people. Right. It's not a densely populated state. That's right. So we're always very excited when we see other Mainers. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I flip my lid every time Maine comes up on Jeopardy. Like It's yeah. like, holy shit, you know where we are. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. But uh, it's a little frustrating because um, I've got I've got some funny TikToks and this one um, is not one of them. It's uh, it's a little upsetting when it's like this one has blown up for some reason, and it's a, your other ones are much better. Yeah, what's no? This one's about potato chips. Potato chips. Yeah, you did a TikTok about potato chips. How many how many views do you have on it? Uh, Two hundred eighty-eight thousand. Wow. Yeah. You're the potato chip TikTok lady now. I guess. <laughs> That's just what I do now. Wow. Um, and someone was complaining, you know, that I was complaining about these chips not tasting good. And they were like, this coming from someone from the state that decided it was appropriate to make candy out of potatoes. <laughs> well, it's a valid point. <laughs> Everything out of potatoes. Well, we are a resourceful lot here in Maine. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that they haven't developed clothing from potatoes at this point. Shocked. Hey, I got an email from Gary who said... Gary, your doctor? No, not oh. Gary, my doctor. Just Gary. Oh, okay. Gary, one of the freaks. He said, Cat and Jethro, a good topic for your show might be the Black Hope Cemetery in Crosby, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston. Some say it was the basis for the movie Poltergeist. Ooh, also, at a night in 1992, the TV movie Grave Secrets was about this. In addition, Unsolved Mysteries did a program on it. And there was a book called Black Hope Horror that gives the account of one of these families 
that lived in this uh, particular neighborhood. Wow. I always have to really think about the word horror before I say it. Horror. It's like the, the radio group that I worked with. It's a nostalgia format. And uh, the positioning statement is the biggest hits. And you have to say that carefully. Right. But since, you know, I've resigned down there and my last day is in two days, I've just been going right out at right. it. Yeah. The biggest tits. It's the biggest tits <laughs> of all time. You're just really enjoying that. Biggest tits of all t- Yeah, it's been fun. Well, it's almost as much fun as the time that you broadcast live from the biggest dicks in New England. Yeah, that was Dick's Sporting Goods. It was a whole different thing. It was it was the biggest dicks in New England. Yeah. It really was. And you just kept saying it. Come on We've down. We've got the biggest dicks in New yeah. England. Come down and see the biggest dicks in New England. Anyway... <laughs> In doing some research on this, I don't think Poltergeist was based on this because Poltergeist came out, well, a year or two before these events started happening, but they are very similar. Well, it would be super spooky if the movie had predated the events. And it was about some sort of a time slip. (laughs) Back in 1982, a young couple named Sam and Judith Haney bought a home uh, in the uh, Crosby neighborhood of Houston, Texas. Uh, It was a nice little home. After a year of living there, they decided they were going to put in a swimming pool. Now, as Sam was getting set to excavate the backyard, an old man showed up and just stood there staring at him, which would creep me the fuck out. And he kind of like waved, got his attention and said, you know, come over here. What the old man told Sam alarmed Sam. He said that uh, if Sam were to continue continue to dig in this area, uh, he would unearth a couple of human bodies. And the old man said he, he should know he's the one that buried them there decades before. They moved the graves, but they didn't move the bodies. Yep. He said back in the 30s, the, the area the houses were now standing on was an old cemetery. Mm-hmm. Well, he thought, you know, that's probably just some weird local urban legend. So they continued to dig. And sure enough, it wasn't long before Sam came across two bodies in the exact location the old man said that they were. So it was, in fact, not Texan skeletal hooey. No, no. He came across two pine boxes and inside were skeletal remains. Sam, of course, was alarmed, contacted law enforcement, and they sent over the county coroner to do an official exclamation. Uh, an official exclamation. <laughs> and if, yep, an, that's a body. An official. If I've ever seen one. <laughs> exhumation. All official, right, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> an official exhumation. Uh, The bones had been in the ground for a very long time, apparently, because a lot of them had had turned to powder. There were about 25 fragments that were left, but even those were kind of brittle. On the brittle fingers of each of these skeletons were wedding rings. The Haney family became determined to find out the identity of these skeletons. That's the first thing I would do, too, is I'd start, I'd turn this into like some sort of a project. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And in their research, they came across a longtime resident whose name was Jasper Norton. And he told them that he, when he was a teenager, he had dug up several graves in that area, just, you know, farting around as a teenager. Just digging holes? Just digging holes out in the fields. I know. When I was a teen, I was always just out digging holes. Digging holes. Look at this hole. (laughs) I dug it myself. I guess that, you know, there were stories swirling about you know okay and so they went out and dug around and anyway a section of this housing development including the haney's house had been built on top of an african-american cemetery called black hope graveyard 
The occupants were mostly former slaves. The cemetery uh, had not been registered, so it was pretty likely that the developers didn't know it was there when they started building. Ah. But they probably found out pretty quickly and kept on building. History says that the last burial recorded occurred in that cemetery in 1930. Okay. So it had been decades and decades. Indeed. Half a century. After much research, they were able to determine that the remains of those two bodies found in the yard belonged to a couple named Betty and Charlie Thomas, a married couple that had been buried there. And um, they had died sometime in the 1930s. So this could have been one of the very last graves that was that was dug there. Right. Well, the Haney's decided... To, uh, to put their pool project on hold for a while. Sure. And they reburied the couple where they found them. But apparently, that wasn't enough. It, is, it appeared as though the Haney's had literally, quite literally, stirred up some ghosts. So they, they just put them back? Yeah. Just In their them, backyard? Yeah. What? Put them back where they, where they were. I think it, they were trying to respect the occupants by reinterring them where they found them. Okay. All right. Over the next several months, there were horrifying incidents that occurred, strange things that could not be explained. From minor things to some pretty major things. One night in particular, Judith Haney discovered, uh, she looked over at her clock, uh, her bedside clock, and it was glowing and sparking like electrical buzzy electrical things jumping out of it. Oh. She went to unplug the clock mm-hmm. and it wasn't plugged in. Oh, no. Yeah. One night, Sam was working late and Judith was alone and she was taking a shower and she heard the sound of the sliding door open and close. And then she heard a man's voice say, what are you doing? And she got out of the shower and wrapped a towel around herself, uh, thinking it was Sam, but she got out there and there's nobody there. Oh, I don't like that at all. No. Shower time when you're home alone is always a vulnerable time. And I don't imagine that I'm the only one who like prepares for shower time yeah. when I'm home alone. Like if you're away right. and I'm home alone, I first before taking a shower, obviously all the doors are locked and then all of the potential hiding spaces are checked. Yeah. And then uh, I fill the bathroom with weapons. Mm-hmm. She does. Oftentimes I will come home and find cat showering with a tire iron. Easy to grip, lightweight enough, going to do some damage. The following morning she was getting dressed And she couldn't find a particular pair of red shoes that she wanted to wear. She looked everywhere in the house, and she knew that she left them in the closet. Sam helped her look. They couldn't find them anywhere. So she put on a different pair of shoes, and upon leaving the house, they saw something red in the yard, and it turned out to be the red shoes. They were sitting on top of Betty and Charlie's graves. Oh. Later, during their research, they found out that the day the shoes went missing was Betty's birthday. Oh, so Charlie gave them to Betty for her birthday. That's pretty sweet, really. That is pretty sweet. I mean, from beyond the grave, he's still getting her presents. Right. That's the kind of effort I want to see. If a man isn't willing to give me gifts after death, (laughs) you know, what am I even doing? I'm just making a note to myself. Once I'm dead, I will let you know I love you by providing you with quality celestial footwear. <laughs> you, We've already decided after you die or if I die, we have a secret code that yep. we're not telling anyone else. That's true. Yep. And <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. No one will ever get <laughs> no it. No one will ever get it. 
it. No. Anyway, there were other incidents in the neighborhood as well. Ben and Jean Williams lived close by the same time the Haney's lived in the neighborhood. Jean noticed that her plants kept dying and that near her flower beds, sinkholes would appear in the shape of a coffin and she'd fill them in and then she'd come back a day or two later and they would be sunk in again. She also noticed some really unusual markings on a tree right near the two sinkholes. There was an arrow carved in the tree pointing toward the ground and beneath the arrow were two horizontal slash marks and they had heard from a long-term resident that he had made the marks on the trees decades before when his two sisters were buried beneath it. Oh, so the arrow just meaning here, here. and then the two slashes representing two bodies. Yes, which was a common way of, of marking graves during the Civil War. Oh, wow. It was soon after that they began to experience supernatural phenomena. They would see random shadow people just strolling about their kitchen. That would freak me out. Um, they would hear whispers and smell putrid smells. Ugh. One relative, a granddaughter named Carly, said that while visiting them on a scorching hot summer day, uh, she would walk around the house and, and just randomly walk through these ice-cold pockets of air. There was no explanation as to why that mm. was happening. And for those of you who have been in Houston in the summertime, you know that has to be supernatural. <laughs> she said she was terrified to be alone in the house. And she also recalled an incident, quote, the toilets used to flush on their own. As the water went down, I could hear what almost sounded like conversations. You could hear people murmuring to themselves. It was a presence or a spirit or something there, Oof. something that wanted to be heard, wanted me to know that they were there. Yeah, that just sounds like faulty plumbing <laughs> to me. I, I don't think there's anything more horrifying than a haunted flush. Well, I've lived in some places where I was pretty sure at one point the flush was haunted. Oh, yeah, because of the putrid smells. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had to go there, didn't you? There was another time when they were getting ready to lie down, take a nap in the afternoon, and they heard the screen door open and close quietly, and then footsteps approaching them. And when they went out to investigate, no one was there. They began to believe that they were not going to be left alone, that they were going to be tormented until they left. It was just little things like this that made them not feel welcome. Yeah, sure. That'll do it. Gene wanted to leave, but Ben said he was going to stay and fight. I paid for this house. This is my house. He recalls one incident, though. When he came home, he was working a graveyard shift, which is ironic. And uh, he walked into the house and he saw two ghostly figures. And they went into his den and headed down the hall toward the bedroom where his wife was. And he followed them in. And when he got there, one of the figures was standing above his wife, Jean. So he jumped up on the bed and the figure just dissipated. No, I don't like that at all. And then things went from bad to worse within a few short months. A half dozen close relatives were all diagnosed with cancer and three of them died. Their neighbors, the Haney's, uh, decided that they were going to sue the developers for not disclosing that these houses were built on an old graveyard. Yeah. Initially, the court sided with them. The jury awarded them like $142,000 for mental anguish. Mm -hmm. But uh, a judge overturned the ruling in favor of the developer claiming that they were not responsible. 
so the verdict was thrown out. The Haney's not only didn't get the 142000 but they had to pay 50000 in court costs. Yeah, that sounds sketchy to me. And then they filed for bankruptcy after that. Well, I guess that uh, because the cemetery wasn't marked and registered, okay. it was kind of a loophole. I don't know. But it seems to me like you take a bulldozer into a graveyard, you're going to know pretty soon if it's a graveyard. Right. So the Williams decided they were going to file a legal motion as well. The developers then demanded proof that the cemetery even existed. So Jean began digging in her backyard and she started to feel ill and she became seriously ill and had to go in and lay down and her daughter Tina offered to finish digging. Uh, She hadn't been out there for more than 30 minutes when she began to feel a little bit dizzy. Oh, maybe she should get some ham. (laughs) Tina, come get your ham. (laughs) I love you. <laughs> I love me too. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so anyway, Tina died. Um, oh, no. oh, no. Yeah. Oh, I feel badly now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. She she lay down on the couch and she didn't feel better. She felt worse. They called 911. They rushed her to the hospital. She had a massive heart attack and died at the age of 30. Oh. The Williams lost their entire investment. They ended up moving to Montana and then they moved back to Texas eventually, but into a different neighborhood. Uh, Back in their old neighborhood, the current residents, uh, most of them report really no paranormal activity. Nobody's been able to explain what happened to the families. In an article in the Houston Chronicle, they spoke with members or or current residents, actually, of the neighborhood. One resident, Tom Hunt, I guess they live in the Haney's old house, said, quote, I still believe there are two graves in my front yard, but nothing weird has ever happened in our home. Oh, that's good. If there were spirits there, they were good spirits and they like us. The current residents of the Williams house said they have not experienced anything weird. Um, A few houses away from them, Walter Winches and his wife live. The Winchesses report that uh, the house has been mostly uneventful, but then Walter added, quote, wait a minute, I just thought about it and there was something suspicious going on in my house. He then side-eyed his wife, Linda, and said, Every time I lay my wallet down on the table, I come back and it's been moved to a shelf and there's money missing from it. Mm-hmm. His wife, Linda, said, no, seriously, I've never noticed anything out of the ordinary. I'm sure after rolling her eyes. <laughs> yep. Except that the lamp comes on, on and off without warning, but it's one of those touch lamps. So you can't count on them to be. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. One current resident said that at one time they did feel a definite presence of a hand on their shoulder, but there was no one there. Another resident said that they had been taking their grandson to the bathroom. She saw a black orb about the size of a quarter float across the room, and then the door slammed shut, and there was no wind, no fan, no window Mm -hmm. open. And then she heard something like a man's voice mumbling and breathing heavily very close to her. And then there's Mary Anderson. She's another another neighbor who believes that uh, graves are buried beneath her home. She contacted an organization named Respect Houston. She said Respect Houston is willing to move these graves and give them a dignified burial, mm-hmm. a proper burial, provided that the people buried in the graves can be identified first. So the search goes on for any information that may help identify the people buried in uh, what was Black Hope Graveyard. And if you have any information, you can email it to hope, the number four, blackhopegraveyard at gmail.com. 
So back to Gary. Your doctor? No, not, not, my, not my doctor, no. The guy that suggested this story, he has more to say. He said, quote, I have a connection with this story since I worked for the engineer who designed the development, <gasps> which sat over the cemetery from 1984 to 1994. Ooh. Granted, the development was done prior to my employment, but I did several projects at the water plant, which is directly beside the home of the author of the Black Hope Horror book. I saw nothing about the cemetery until one of Houston's TV stations did a news story just before the release of the TV movie Grave Secrets. Aha. I watched the movie, I read the book, and then I asked the engineer who was responsible for the development about this. He just stated he knew nothing about it and then told me to leave his office. His action was suspicious since we had worked together for eight years and he had never once asked me to leave his office. The next time I was required to visit the water plant, I looked over the fence and I saw that arrow carved in the tree, uh -huh. which was referenced in uh, the book and the movie. It was a little freaky. I bet. I also asked the operator of the plant if he knew anything about the cemetery. He had heard all the stories and he was there when the development was being constructed. He stated, before construction, there was a wrought iron fence, an area that was fenced off. And there were a few grave markers just north of the water plant. Mm -hmm. As he was leaving the plant on a Friday afternoon, he asked the construction superintendent what was going to be done with the graves. The superintendent stated they were going to relocate the graves in the next couple of weeks. On Monday morning, the operator returned to find no fence, no markers, no evidence. I truly enjoy your program, Gary. Aha. Uh -huh. Thanks, Gary, for the inside Thank story. Thank you, Gary. Wait, should we not say his name just in case there's like, oh, it's we've said it too many times. Yeah, I can't too, edit it out. It's too late now. Sorry, Gary. And now, that thing in the middle. Ah, uh, incontinence. It's a real drag. And throughout history, humans have tried to find ways to cure it. The ancient Romans got very creative and came to the conclusion that they could cure incontinence with the bladder of a hyena, a roasted seahorse, and boiled mice. Not sure in what combination, though. If this podcast were at Costco or Sam's Club, you'd get scads of podcasts at once for a dollar. But they'd come shrink-wrapped on big pallets and block your driveway. And you'd grow to hate us. There's a reason we upload these babies one at a time. This is The Box of Oddities. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. 
When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. One of the most common questions we get here at the Box of Oddities is, uh, what podcasts do you recommend? Mm-hmm. We recommend uh, several, actually, one of which is Disturbed True Horror Stories with our buddy Chad. Now, Sometimes you just want a good spooky story. And that's exactly what you get with Disturbed True Horror Stories. Each episode, Chad guides you through a series of true terrifying experiences. Kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, the worst parts of your nightmares come to life. Yeah, and they tell the story in a narrative form, and I love that. Yeah. To give you an idea of what kind of stuff you're you're in for when you listen to Disturbed True Horror Stories... Uh, A recent episode I listened to is, here's the title, I Was Almost a Cult Sacrifice. Oh, jeez. Each episode is brought to life with its own creepy musical score, and that makes you feel the fear 
of each story. You feel like you're right in the middle of it and you like the spooky stuff. Mm -hmm. We really think you'll like Disturbed True Horror Stories. Follow and listen to Disturbed True Horror Stories in your favorite podcast app or online at disturbedpodcast.com. You'll like it. Chad does a good job. Also got an email from Alessandra. Alessandra. Wow, that got fancy the way that you did that just now. I'm feeling fancy. I guess so. Hey, JG and Kat, it finally happened. Please enjoy this slightly tipsy voice memo where I explain what happened. All right. I'm very excited. I love a slightly tipsy voice memo. Hey, Kat and Jethro. Uh, My name's Alessandra. I am a new listener. I've been listening to you guys for probably a week or a week and a half at this point. Um, Absolutely love you guys, but I've probably gone through 75% of your entire catalog at this point. You're pretty much just playing uh, all day long while I work. Anyway, um, I've heard a few episodes mentioning the Box of Oddities effect, which I think is so much fun. Um, So tonight I was at a friend's house. We're having a nice little dinner party and uh, we're discussing like horror movies and films and whatnot. And um, the host brought up Veronica and I had just listened to that episode. Now, mind you, I probably go through at least eight of your episodes a day. So I definitely don't remember all the details of this episode in particular. But um, it, the name, like, stuck out. And in the middle of dinner, she's talking about the Veronica film. And I literally shot up out of my seat and said, oh, my God, it's happening. It's happening. This is my first one. It's happening <laughs> with no context. And everybody kind of looks at me and was like, um, are you OK? What's happening? Please tell us. And I'm like spitting it out and can't get it out. And I'm like, the bo- it's the box of the box of oddities effect. It's the box of the effect. Um, you know, after a while I got it out and told them what had actually happened, but I'm just so excited. I had my first box of oddities effect, um, which I think now means I have to join the Facebook group, um, which I will do promptly as soon as I get home. But thank you guys so much for what you do. I have so much fun listening to you every day. And I just, I really love the love that you have for each other. It's so pure and so fun. And just really, I hope that I can have some of that one day. Um, warmest wishes, best, re- best regards, warmest w- wishes. Well, that was delightful. That is delightful. That was the best thing I've heard all day. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We've heard some good things. Please, today. more of that. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to send us, um, you know, actually, it's a good time to remind people that it is <gasps> Halloween quarter. It's Halloween quarter. And if you've had something weird happen to you, a paranormal experience or uh, just something that was unexplained, some bizarre story that happened to you, record it on your smartphone and email it to us curator at the box of oddities.com and perhaps it'll end up in our Halloween special. Make sure you put Halloween story in the subject line. Yeah, otherwise we will lose it. We will. We often do. Anyway, my love, what you got for me? I want to tell you today about these uh, really neat tunnels. So in Brazil uh, and in surrounding areas, there are these huge, neatly constructed tunnels 
uh, and they extend for up to 100 meters and occasionally branch off into separate chambers. They were first discovered in the 1930s, and there's two different types. The smaller ones that reach about 1.5 meters in diameter, and then bigger ones which can stretch up to 2 meters in height and 4 meters wide. And again, I had to do conversions <laughs> because we are still only one of three countries that use the imperial system. Yeah, it's not the metric system. It's the opposite of the metric system. It's the anti-metric system. It's, uh, yeah. And so every time I encounter a story that includes meters or kilometers or tons, I have Tun, to- tons. Do the math. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the internet's for. That's right. We don't have to learn that shit. So anyway, they're big, big tunnels. And uh, there are caves nearby that have been formed by water within the same geology, like on this hillside where these caves are. Uh, but they look nothing like these large round passages with smooth floors. There's no geological process that produces these long tunnels with circular or elliptical cross sections that branch and rise and fall and so on and so forth, according to Heinrich Frank, uh, he told Discover Magazine. So these are not naturally occurring caves or tunnels, and they are huge, and they're found scattered all about South America. So what what's what are these? So they're not naturally formed no. and they're not the remnants of a mining project. That's correct. Aliens. <laughs> it's an underground alien base. We all know that South America is a, is a UFO hotbed. Could it be? It could. Ancient alien theorists say yes. I've heard this. But no, it's not. Hmm. Paleoburrows. Frank, the the scientist that we were just talking about, he said, I didn't know there was such a thing as paleo burrows. And I really hadn't thought much about it either, honestly. Uh, but I'm not a geologist. So let's give me a break, okay? I love that you're on first name basis with him now. It's his last name. But in a first name basis kind of way. I don't know. I've heard it both ways. <laughs> Sweetheart, don't be exactly half of a 13-pound black forest ham. <laughs> They're also called megafauna burrows. And these were likely created by giant ground sloths. <gasps> so the year is oh. 9000 BCE. Oh. And these humongous bears, cave bears live. There's saber-toothed tigers. Yeah. There's Irish elk roaming in South America. But the biggest of these ginormous animals is megatherium. Or the elephant-sized ground sloth. A ground sloth the size of an elephant. Oh, that boggles one's mind. And up until now, I've had to take my mind out and have it artificially boggled. So Megatherium lived from the early Pliocene through the end of the Pleistocene. And he's best known for his giantness. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's a sloth, mm -hmm. but he's huge. <laughs> he lived in the Pampas, the lowlands that cover more than a million square kilometers in Argentina, Buenos Aires, Uruguay, and some of Brazil. Now, living sloths are less than a meter in length, and they average about five kilograms or 10 pounds-ish. 
So picture like a house cat ish size gotcha. guy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and they spend most of their time in trees, tootling along real slow like. But these giant babies were likely ground dwellers because it's hard to get 9,000 pounds of animal in a tree. That'd be a big fucking tree. 9,000 pounds. Oh my God. I can't even. How many kilograms is that? That's a great question. Better go to the internet, your handy metric conversion table. 4,082 kilograms. A couple of tons. That's amazing. And not metric tons, just, you know, regular American tons. Shit tons. Shit tons yeah. is what we call it here in the yeah. States. He's a big boy. So these fellers were also able to stand and walk on their hind legs. So no, <laughs> no. big deal. <laughs> no, that's not real. Right? You're okay. just making shit up now. They could use their tail as a balancing tool. That's, so they no. were the largest bipedal mammal of all time. Don't get me wrong. I'm enjoying hearing about this, hearing the story about this giant um, 9,000 pound sloth just hippity hoppity around on his two feet. Um, but you're a liar. <laughs> I mean, that's that's fair. Probably they didn't move as slowly as current sloths, but I don't think there was any hippity hoppitying okay. due to the the large weight. But I'm not I'm not lying. I mean, there's there's fossil records. OK, then um, of these these babies and uh, they're <laughs> don't but don't worry, because they were probably veggie friends. And that's been confirmed through chemical analysis of their teeth. And there's no evidence of it. That's right. I mean, they did have giant claws, which is how they dug these giant tunnels. These huge caves and tunnels are beautifully crafted by one or more giant ground sloths who mostly live underground. That's incredible. So again, how, how, how big across were these tunnels on average? So the larger ones were about four meters in width. Okay, so 10, 12 feet, something like that. That's huge. Well, they had to be. Yeah. Because of the giant underground bipedal sloths <laughs> yeah, yeah. that were making them. Size of an elephant. Yeah, it it is hard to... Picture an elephant with giant claws making his way through the underground. And not shit your pants. Right. Um, Even though you do know he was uh, an herbivore. Now, being able to pop up on those back feet was really beneficial for these giant BBs because they could reach grasses and trees and such that other animals couldn't reach. Because, again, they were enormous, even compared to... Other animals that were kicking about at that time that uh, were nomming on leaves. Yeah, I'm, I'm in my mind visualizing what an elephant looks like when, you know, he stands on two feet. Mm-hmm. And again, granted, the only time I've ever seen that's in circuses. Right. We don't really encourage that kind of behavior. But Would you go see a giant sloth if it was at a circus? No. You still wouldn't do it. Well, I mean. Even though the thing has been deceased and extinct for 9,000 years. Now I'm very confused about your question. If they brought him back to life uh, a la Jurassic Park, and the only place you could see him was in a circus. Did they bring him back to put him in a circus? Yes. Then no, I would never support that. Okay. That seems wrong. Though the concept of seeing something that I wouldn't have a chance to see otherwise would be very tempting. And, you know, I mean, now I'm all torn in my my insides. (laughs) Forget I even brought it up. 
Now, they were veg friends, but because they were so large, they really didn't have a lot in the way of natural predators because they could take out saber-toothed tigers. They yeah. were so large. With their giant claws. They could just pa pa done. No worries. So what is it that took out these megatherium, these giant sloths? Cholesterol? Um, no, they were vegetarian. Oh, that's right. Yeah, no. <laughs> It was probably people. Were they were they big smokers? Heart disease. No, but the people might have put them on smokers, which was the problem. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So people hunted them out into extinction. Most likely. Yeah. Uh, megatherium fossils have been found with cut marks on them, suggesting that they were hunted by humans. Most cite the appearance of expanding human population and human hunters as the cause of its extinction. Uh, it was right around the same time that a lot of animals went extinct. So it makes sense that as the human population was growing and, you know, trying to stab things all the time, that uh, that the things around it would die. <laughs> Sometimes you're so clinical. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty spot on, though. Yeah, it really is. Uh, now, there are, though, rumors that in the deep jungles of South America, giant sloths still exist. Oh, my God. Those who live in and around the Amazon rainforest have long passed down stories of a dangerous beast they call the Mapanguri, a giant sloth-like creature who's over seven feet tall with matted fur and sharp, sharp claws. Now, they do claim that he roars out of a second mouth that he has in his stomach. Okay, But so, other than that... Yeah, a little, a little embellishment there. He's right on point with this giant sloth. Wow. So if that's the case, we'll have to do the whole circus thing because we're going to go to South America and we're going to see a giant sloth. <laughs> do you think that it's possible? I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't buy into like the whole Bigfoot thing, but I can get on board with a giant sloth. Yeah, that's that's weird. You're that, weird. That's so weird. You're weird. What about Mothman? Can you? You know what? I don't like what you're doing. You're really on this kick lately, and you're just bringing it up a lot. And I, just, I don't quite get. I it. just find it endearing that you poo-poo everything. I don't poo-poo everything e except Mothman and giant Shh, sloths. Now I guess we you. can add. We can add. Mothman will know that you're talking about him, and I don't like it. You think he's going to come to your house and Shh. just hover about your outdoor light? Well. <laughs> Maybe if I'm alone in the shower. <laughs> well, it's a good thing you have that tire iron. <laughs> oh, that's full circle, babe. The end. That's full circle. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, amazing. Great story. You're I, I, amazing. I, I love me some potential cryptozoological type stuff. I love how occasionally you'll launch into like an old timey blues singer and you're all, I loves me some cryptozoology. <laughs> all right, you guys, um, before we go, we're going to bum you out. Um, here we go. Uh, we got some bad news this week about Banjo. He's got a, a lesion or a, a yeah. tumor. Wait, yeah, without doing an MRI, it's hard to say exactly, but they assume that it's a lesion or something that is creating a loss of sense of space and balance issue and uh, making it hard for him to breathe. Yeah. And so um, we have to um, we have to do this again. Um, again. Again. Yep. And uh, by the time you're listening to this episode, it'll already be done. But we're looking at having to uh, take him in. Well, we've got an appointment for, 
Friday the 13th. Yeah. God, I just realized what the date was. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's doing okay because he's on steroids, but they can't keep him on that because it'll destroy his liver. And they say he, um, there's really nothing that can be done. So, yeah. Um, so we are very grateful that we uh, know about this now and we're not putting him through the stress mm. and such of a long trip and we can do the best thing for him that we can do. But he's been a part of our show, you know, this whole time. And mm -hmm. we uh, so appreciate how many people over the years have reached out about him and, you know, sent him things in the mail. And we just we know that um, that a lot of you are, are pet people, too. And so it's nice um, that you got part of his life. And so we wanted to tell you that, yeah. that, that this is happening. Yeah. Um, Why do we do this? Nope. I don't, I don't think we should ever do it again. No. I, yeah. Loving things is hard. Yep. And it never ends well. No. Ultimately. Oh, sure. It's good for a little while. But ultimately, it ends with me sitting in the corner of the room, sobbing into a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Again. <laughs> so we hope that you have some Ben and Jerry's on hand. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> and we will too. And... Um, we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True. That is, two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.